0: Welcome to the Watermark OC.church podcast. Thank you for listening. Good to see you. Welcome to Watermark. I'm Pastor Bucky, and uh, it's good to have you in the house this morning here. And especially if you're here for the first time, we extend a Watermark welcome and a warm greeting to you. Thanks for hanging out this weekend with us. Uh, Appreciate everyone. I think it's always a miracle that people get up on Sunday morning after a busy week after all Saturday activities, and come to church. So It's a miracle that everybody shows up every week, and I appreciate that you guys are here coming together to, to worship God and, and love Him. And uh, that's what we're about at Watermark. We just want to be disciples of Jesus, loving God with all that we are, learning to love our neighbor, right? Whether they're homeless or whether they're from another culture or another religious system or uh, wherever they come from, to love them as God loves us. And uh, we're in a series called Why the Bible Matters. It's a great question. I mean, a lot of people dialogue about that question in the world and bring that up uh, because the Bible is, I guess, the bestseller of all time. (laughs) It's been read in many languages, many cultures. It's been translated, and it has this amazing, unifying message. Even though it was written over 1,500 years, I think about 40 different authors, 66 books, and yet it has this unifying theme of God's redemptive love for his creation and all of mankind. And, and we've been talking about that. And this morning I want to address a part of the Bible that the culture struggles with. Uh, we have a culture that is more scientifically natural in its orientation, so it's skeptical. It looks at the Bible and says, yeah, there's historical... Problems here. It's it's wrong. There's errors. There's inaccuracies. The, these miraculous things. Come on. That's the Jonah and the whale thing. That's just a fish tale, right? I mean, come on. This is fable and fairy tale and all this stuff. It, you know, maybe if you want to understand ancient culture, but that's it's really irrelevant to us here in the modern world, right? Uh, we have science. We have uh, discipline. We we understand how to do it. We don't need the Bible. And even as Christians, we struggle sometimes with Bible. If you're doing the one-year Bible, uh, like I do regularly, and I I choose a Bible app and a YouVersion Bible, it's a great app, and there's all kinds of reading programs, and I try to do a daily discipline of reading a passage from the Old Testament, a psalm, and a passage from the New Testament. And sometimes I have to confess, like I talk to many Christians, I I like Jesus and I, I love the New Testament, but why the Old Testament? I mean, the Old Testament feels like driving through Texas. Anybody driven through Texas before? It is long, it is boring, and it is flat. It's like, what? This is just a grind through the Old Testament. Does it ever end? And these stories are so ancient, I don't get what they're saying and the words. And God seems really, he's got an angry attitude. Is he a different God from the Old Testament and the New Testament? Because he seems like an angry elf. He's pouring out his wrath and I mean why does he command that that the Israelites destroy this this whole group of people the Canaanites I mean who is what is going on here that's not that doesn't look like Jesus and so we struggle and we have questions and we have doubts and these are legitimate questions I don't need to make light of them I wrestle with them myself and there are great theologians and great people that are studying the scriptures that have Great answers for some of those questions. I can't address them all. And obviously, Ben and I want to create a, a culture here at Watermark where we have a dialogue about this stuff. And if you have questions about the Bible or Old Testament issues, we'd love to dialogue with you and, and process those. We would love to have a conversation because I think it's important to talk, to wrestle, and to that's how our faith grows. And that's important. And so we're open to those questions. We We acknowledge there's questions and it creates doubts and confusions. The one answer that I want to give this morning that has helped me so much in my faith journey, why does the Old Testament matter? Why does the Bible matter? Why does the Old Testament matter? Ultimately, the Old Testament matters because it matters to the guy I'm following, right? It mattered to Jesus. The Old Testament matters because it mattered to Jesus, That's the ultimate answer. That's how I look at the Old Testament through the eyes of my rabbi, my Lord, and my Savior. How did Jesus view the Old Testament? Did he cut out parts of it and say, here's the real parts of it? Did did he actually change the Old Testament in his teaching? Did he he actually conflict with what was said in the past and said, no, here's the the new book that I'm giving you? Um, Did he struggle with it? How did Jesus view the Old Testament? And I want to make a case that that was the book that formed him. It was the book that built him. It was the book that allowed him to become everything that he came to this planet to do. And here we have this great passage in Luke. Luke. Jesus is 12 years old. It's a a fascinating passage because it's between the birth, the amazing birth of Jesus, and his ministry start, which we think was around 30, 33, and here he is, 12 years old, in the Gospel of Luke, and as a a young Jewish boy growing up in a Jewish culture, because Jesus was Jewish, and his book was the Jewish Scriptures, and that's how we understand Jesus, through Judaism, the cultural context, and the Jewish Scriptures, and as a Jewish boy, his family being faithful, they would come to celebrate festivals in Jerusalem. This is the Passover festival. They've been there, Joseph and Mary. They've had a great time celebrating this incredible event, the Exodus event, where God intervened and freed a nation from slavery through Moses, a Passover land. They ate a meal. They celebrated. They had sacrifices at the temple. And the caravan is heading back to Galilee. And Joseph and Mary realized, where's Jesus? He's not with us. And somehow he got lost in the shuffle. Well, we say, gosh, they must be bad parents. Well, if you're 12 in Israel at this time, you're pretty much an adult now. You're viewed as an adult. Jesus is viewed as becoming into full manhood at 12 years old at this time. Okay? So he's not just a little kid that they, they didn't have on a leash that ran away. No, Jesus is, is, is an adult. And so they go back, and they're trying to find him, and it takes them three days, and they finally find him, and where is he out? After three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them, asking them questions. Everyone heard him and was amazed at his understanding of the scriptures and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, son, why are you treating us like this? A nice Jewish mom. I can hear her voice right there, right? He asked, didn't you know, mom? (laughs) I had to be in my father's house, right? And it says later that Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. You see, Jesus developed. He's 100% God. He's 100% man. He submitted his full use of his attributes and he stepped into humanity and he developed through normal human processes, right? His intellect, his mind, he had to learn, he had to study, he had to read, he went through those regular disciplines of a Jewish life and what came out of his reading and study of the Old Testament scriptures, an understanding of who he was, who God was, his identity, his worldview, his calling, It came from the Old Testament. It didn't come from the New Testament. It came from the Old. It was the book that Jesus loved, the book Jesus read, the book Jesus lived. The book of Hebrews says that he was made like us in every way, right? So that he might become the perfect high priest for us. He learned from what he suffered and what he went through. And he lived in a Jewish context. He saw the oppression of his of his homeland, the Roman oppression, he went to the temple and he, the, you know, in, in, in Passover, the great rabbis would all come to the temple. And they're, they're all teaching in all places throughout the globe, even in Israel. They come to the temple and this was like a, a rap session with all the rabbis. They would all share notes, they would all share learnings of how they interpreted the law and how they were living the law. Jesus is right in the mix at 12 years old. He's asking questions. The highest form of rabbinical teaching is not what you say, it's what you ask. You see, Jesus, he's always asking questions. He's always answering someone with another question. That's the way rabbinical studies worked. And if you were a child in Israel from the age 6 to 10, you would be trained in Torah, in the law. You would go to a school, not to learn math or reading or writing or arithmetic like we do. You would go to a local school taught by a rabbi right Uh, and and, and in your local synagogue and you would be stuffed with the law that's what they did because that's where judaism came from their whole nation their whole future their whole past was built on torah they prided themselves in their educational system and you would learn the law you would have memorized the first five books of the old testament by the age of 10 You know why when Jesus starts saying stuff from the scriptures, everybody knows what he's talking about? Because it was a biblical, literate culture. They all had memorized it. That's what they went to school, right? And so Jesus was uh, immersed in the law, in Torah. And then from age 10 to 14, if you went on to the next level, you would have memorized the whole Bible, all 39 books of the Old Testament, and in that second level, what the rabbis would do was not teach you to recite the Bible, but how to think the Bible, your worldview, asking questions. How do you interpret? How do you apply? Here's Jesus at the top of his class. Well, yes, he's a perfect man. He's not hindered by his sin nature, but he's learning through normal processes. How did he come up with his worldview? How did he understand he was the Messiah? How did he know that God was a good, good father? He didn't come from the, the New Testament. It didn't drop from the sky. It came from the Old Testament, the Bible. He formed his mind, his heart, his image of God, his identity of who he was, what God was doing in the world, the story of God's people. He read through the passages where God's wrath was poured out and judged at times on people. He he read all that and he'd come out as a skeptic and say, oh, this is an ugly, angry God. Let me show you a different God. No, he came to reveal the fullness of God which came out of the scriptures through his life. He was the ultimate expression of the images of God that we see in the Old Testament, which are not full, they're partial, but ultimately he took on the fullness of that. But it all came out of that. It was the book that he read, the book that formed him. And if it mattered to him, it ought to matter to us. If we're going to follow the rabbi, we ought to follow and read the book that he read, right? And so that's important as we follow Jesus and call ourselves Christians. You see, the Bible was his final authority. Jesus' worldview was a supernatural worldview. He realized that we live in an enchanted universe. It's not just matter, time, and space. There is a supernatural component, right? There's demons. There's angels. There's a spiritual battle going on. Not just a physical battle. We're born into battle, and Jesus knew that. The Bible was his authority of how to confront that battle, how to gain victory in that battle. The Bible was what he stood under as his authority and what the world was really about and what he was about. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit right out of his baptism. Right before he, he did his, he, before he did his first miracle, he was tempted and tested by the enemy. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. I bet he was hungry. I, I'm, I'm hungry after a day, after an hour. The tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, right? If you think you are the Messiah, right? If you think you got this thing going, hey, then do a miracle for me. Turn the stones to bread and take care of your own needs, right? The the enemy is tempting Jesus to build his life on something other than the word of God, right? Build your life and your identity on what you can do, how you can perform, What you can make happen whenever you want to make happen. A lie that is in our culture every day in Orange County. And Jesus confronts that lie with what? The Old Testament scriptures, the book of Deuteronomy, right? He quotes Deuteronomy, the book that formed him. It comes out of his mouth. It's the way he confronted the false narratives in his culture and brought the true reality that he lived under. It was the Word of God. And he said, It is written, man shall not live by bread alone but by every word spoken from the Father. You see that breath of God? That's inspired, right? We said the view of inspiration in the New Testament is that the scriptures are God-breathed. Jesus is saying right here, this Bible, this word of God is inspired. It comes from the breath of God, the mouth of God. It is written by God. It is written through man, but it is written by God. It is inspired, it is authoritative, it is effective, it's unbreakable. That's Jesus' view of the Old Testament. And he overcame the challenges in his life, the lies of the culture about his identity and his purpose through the authority of God's Word, the Old Testament. It was was his final authority, it was his true reality. Here, Jesus is having a dialogue with some of the teachers, the Pharisees, and they're challenging him like they always did with regards to scripture, with regards to who he said he was, and they're always asking for a sign, right? He's done plenty of miracles. Uh, The scriptures speak of him. He said, you guys look for the scriptures to find life? They testify about me. And so he's saying, I'm I'm not going to jump up and down for you guys anymore. Here's the ultimate sign of my authority and who I am. Then some of the Pharisees and teachers of the law said to him, teacher, uh, we want to see a sign from you. He answered, a wicked and adulterous generation, right? This is your heart. You don't really care about me, and you don't care about my message. You want to just basically destroy my testimony with your questioning and your trickery. A wicked and adulterous generation asks for a sign, but none will be given except for the sign of the prophet Jonah, right? What is the sign of the prophet Jonah? Jesus says, here's the sign of the prophet Jonah, right? Uh... For just Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man, me, will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it for if they repented at the preaching of Jonah... For they repented of the preaching of Jonah, and now someone, me, greater than Jonah is here. The queen of the south will rise up in judgment against this generation and condemn it. For she came to the ends of the earth to listen to Solomon's wisdom, and now something greater than Solomon is here. I'm the fulfillment of these scriptures, and you're rejecting me, and these people are going to stand in judgment over you. What's the point here? Jesus treats these people as historical people, historical realities, The the story of Jonah that people want to laugh at and say, that'll never happen, you can't be three days in a fish. Well, yeah, you can in a natural paradigm, but in a supernatural paradigm, you can because it's a miracle. The Bible is a supernatural book. Ben Appleby talked about the power of miracle. Last week, if you didn't hear it, go check out the podcast. The Bible is a supernatural book. It believes in a supernatural paradigm. It's a miracle. Jonah was in three days in the belly of fish, I can't buy that. Well, guess what? Christianity is built on the sign of Jonah, which is the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. (laughs) Three days in the heart of the earth. Three days dead, rising from the dead. That's a bigger miracle than Jonah. If you ask me, that's amazing, right? Resurrection, Christianity is built on the historical fact of the resurrection. Jesus is saying the resurrection is like the historical reality of Jonah. It's not a fishtail. It's a historical fact. And Jesus is saying that, he's using that because Jesus viewed the Bible, the stories were not fables, they were not fantasies, they were description of true reality. He believed in the people and the facts, he quoted them, he taught on them, he affirmed the historical facts of the Old Testament, he taught about Noah as an actual historical figure, the flood as it actually happened, Abraham, God's calling of Abraham, Sodom and Gomorrah, The the judgment on that city because of their unrighteousness and wickedness, he used all those stories, those stories formed him, and that was his worldview. They were historical fact and reality to him, right? The serpent, the man in the wilderness, all these miracles he viewed as reality and fact. He believed that the books were written by the people that wrote them. Isaiah wrote Isaiah, right? He believed that. He quoted that. Isaiah, Daniel, Jonah. These people were real. They weren't fantasies, fables, or fairy tales. And he quoted them and used them to illustrate his ministry and who he was. The Bible was his true reality. Also, the Old Testament was not something he came to change. Not some, He didn't want to write a different book than the Old Testament. He, he, he didn't want to say, here's the parts that matter, here's the parts that don't. He actually had an incredibly high view of the Old Testament, right? We talked about this. But here's, and again, in his most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, he's saying, here's my view of the law. Do not think that I came to abolish the law because the Pharisees were saying Jesus is soft on the law. He's not applying the law like we apply the law. He's not following our traditions of hand washing and all the things that we do to make sure we keep the law. And so they're saying, Jesus is soft on sin, he's soft on the law, Law, don't listen to him. And Jesus is contrasting his yoke, his view of scripture, with the teaching of the Pharisees in the Sermon on the Mount, right? And he's saying, don't think what these people are saying, that I came to abolish the law of the prophets. I didn't come to change them. No, I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest jot or tittle, Right? little period almost, less than that, will, uh, the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, who's he talking about now? The Pharisees. Therefore, anyone who sets aside the least of these commands, right, he's talking about the Pharisees, and uh, teaches others according will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. You see, Jesus didn't have a problem with the law. He had a problem with the Pharisees' interpretation of the law. They were actually light on the law. You know why? Because they didn't care about the heart. All they taught was external traditions, and that was righteous. If you washed your hands right over here, then guess? you were righteous. If you did these things, if you followed their traditions and their way of applying the law, you were truly righteous because they built these fences around the law. But when they did that, they set aside the true interpretation. They set aside the heart, the spirit of the law. And what was that? Was it self-righteous judgment? Was it wrath? No, it was love. Right? The Sermon on the Mount is ultimately about love. Loving God Loving our brothers, loving our neighbors, loving our sisters. That's the focus of the law. That's what Jesus was teaching. He didn't set it aside. He didn't change the Old Testament. He said, if you read the Old Testament and you study it and you understand it, what it will do will produce a person that loves. That's the ultimate thing that it will bring about in your heart and your mind. And that is the greatness of the kingdom. It's love. And so Jesus said, I didn't come to set it aside And we shouldn't set the Old Testament aside, right? So many Christians have never read the Old Testament. They set it aside. It's archaic. It's all, don't need it. I just need the Gospels and I just need the epistles. I don't need the Old Testament. Jesus didn't set it aside. He came to fulfill it. He came to live it. It's important to the whole story of understanding who he is, the Messiah, right? The Jewish Messiah, the Son of God, the Savior of the world, The Old Testament is powerful in the whole story, informing our understanding of God and what he's doing in the world. And so it was important to Jesus. He came to fulfill it. It should be important to us. Ultimately, it led him to love, right? How did Jesus understand in a world that was saying the Messiah is a conquering king? The Messiah is this powerful person that's going to sit on the throne of David. This Messiah is going to destroy the the Roman oppression. He's going to take them out. He's coming as this conquering king. And Jesus said, no, you don't don't read the scriptures. You don't understand the heart of it. The heart is to serve with love. This is Isaiah, right? Jesus would have read this. He would have meditated it. And the Father spoke to him through this about what his role was going to be. He was coming to suffer and to serve. And those words came out of his mouth because it was formed in his heart as he spent time in the scriptures being changed and renewed in his mind. And he became the suffering servant. Look at what Isaiah, this is 700 years before Jesus ever walked, right? Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. This is, this is the cross, right? This is Calvary. This is redemption, right? He was crushed for us. He stood in our place. He took on our sin. The punishment that brought us peace, reconciliation with God, was on him on the cross, right? And by his wounds, we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. We've all walked away with God. We've all chosen our own path. The Bible calls that sin, waywardness, walking in our own way. And Jesus came to bring us back, to reconcile us back with God through dying for us as a suffering servant on the cross. Each of us has turned his own way, but the Lord laid on him, Jesus, the iniquity of us all. Powerful Isaiah. You know, when you talk to somebody who's skeptical and said, why does the Bible matter say, you know, this was written 700 years before Christ ever walked the planet. Who does this describe to you? You know? that's the cross, that's Jesus, right? That's the book that formed him and shaped him and made him into the sacrificial servant of love. The Old Testament is powerful. It matters to him. It should matter to us. And so don't dismiss the book that Jesus read. Yes, there's challenges. Yes, there's struggling. It's wrestling through those challenges. It's asking those questions that helps us to grow I still have unanswered questions. I still have challenges. But who do I look to for the answers ultimately? Jesus, right? The suffering servant of God. He appeared to some disciples on the road to Emmaus after his resurrection. And they were struggling with the Old Testament. They were struggling with their understanding of the Messiah, what was going on like we do when we get into the Old Testament. And Jesus walked with them and they didn't recognize him. He was resurrected. He was there and they walked and they dialogued and they were downcast. They struggled because they thought Jesus was going to be that Messiah. He was a prophet. He was the one who was going to fulfill it. He was going to be that earthly Messiah that they were looking for from their understanding of the scriptures, right? Right? And so their Messiah was dead. What good is a dead Messiah? They were struggling. And they said, some crazy women said, they went to the tomb and he's alive. What's going on with all this? And Jesus said, how foolish you are, right? He confronts them. How slow to believe what the prophets have spoken from the beginning, right? Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory, right? Right? He's, sh- he's showing them that the Old Testament matters because it speaks of him, it speaks of the suffering Messiah and the resurrected king. He's teaching them that. He's opening their eyes to the scriptures. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scripture concerning himself. So he went to stay with them. When he, was, when he was at the table with them, right, they broke bread. They had table fellowship. They gave thanks, and they began to give it, he began to give it to them, a, a great illusion of communion, a great picture of communion there. Their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. Then they asked each other, weren't our hearts burning while he talked to us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? The risen Christ is right here, right now. The Holy Spirit dwells inside of you. As you walk along this incredible journey in 2018 and read the Old I'm going to challenge you to read the whole Bible, read the Old Testament, and ask the Lord to come alongside and explain the Scriptures to you. And he will show you. He will show you great and wonderful things. He will show you how it all ties and points to him. He'll open your mind. He'll teach you. He'll bless you. He'll bring others to encourage you. The Old Testament is an amazing book. It's the book that Jesus read. It's the book that Jesus loved. It's the book that he fulfilled. Let's be men and women of the book. Let's jump into the Old Testament as well as the New Testament. And ask God to form our hearts Around the whole scriptures because they ultimately point to him. The New Testament is not enough to understand the depth and the riches of all that Jesus came to do and fulfill as the Messiah, our Savior, our Lord. What about the great Old Testament images Lamb of God, Good Shepherd, Sign of Jonah, Stone the builders rejected, Son of Man? Those all come out of the Old Testament. And they're rich in their context, and they bring this greater fullness of all that Jesus was, what he came to fulfill. Try to understand Hebrews. We're going to study the book of Hebrews next, guys. It's an amazing book. If you're in the Old Testament, Hebrews takes all its imagery from the Old Testament. As Christ is the complete answer to all of that, all the things that were built in the Old Testament, he came to fulfill as the ultimate high priest and sacrifice it's amazing, so jump into it and it'll really inform Hebrews. What about the Gospel of John, the book of Revelation? All that comes out of the richness of the Old Testament. Paul is constantly drawing back from the Old Testament and bringing it into the New. That's why the Bible matters. It's so enriching, it's so fulfilling, and so I want to challenge you to jump into that book and to read it with me and enjoy what God is going to do in our church because He is going to allow our hearts to burn as he teaches us through the Spirit, the Scriptures, as we do that together. And now we're going to do something that he brought his people to. The Passover Seder, right? An Old Testament celebration, right? Of, of this, this wonderful thing that God did in Israel's history. And he took that and he said, this whole thing, this whole thing points to me. This is my body. I'm the Paschal Lamb. I'm the Passover Lamb that came to give my life for you. This is my blood. This is the cup of redemption. This is my blood that is shed for you. Whenever you take this meal, don't just think of the exodus. Think of the ultimate exodus that I came to bring. Resurrection, life, eternal life. And one day, I'm not going to drink of this cup again until I drink it in the kingdom when we're together. And that communion is going to become, right, the marriage supper of the Lamb (laughs) because we're going to be united with our Messiah our King and we're going to be with Him forever we're going to celebrate it's going to taste so sweet and so good and the Old Testament helps us understand the richness of that blessing and that fullness let's bow our heads and prepare our hearts Father thank You for Your Word thank You for Your Son Jesus we worship You Jesus You are our Messiah You are King You are Lord take this law, the Old Testament law and write it upon our hearts write it upon our hearts thank you for your body and blood which allows us to be redeemed, which allows us to be adopted, which allowed us to understand the fullness of our identity in you Jesus would you change our hearts, transform us from the inside out through your spirit that we might be people of the book that we might live the law loving you and loving our neighbor. We celebrate your goodness and your grace. We celebrate your forgiveness and your mercy. Thank you for healing us this morning. We remember the body and the blood, Jesus, that you gave us. Bless us now as we commune with you. In Jesus' name, amen. To find out more about us, go online to watermarkoc.church.